Hi, this is David Person with Alabama Politics This Week. You know, Josh and I have a lot of fun doing this podcast, and we also try to keep it very informational with newsmaker interviews, and, and we try to do our research, too, before we get on here and pontificate. I hope that you find the podcast informative and entertaining. So if you do, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to rate us, subscribe to us, and review us on your favorite podcasting platform, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever it is you're using to listen to us. Please do that. That will help us to move up in the rankings and also to uh, get more people to tune in. So if you're a fan of Alabama politics this week, I hope you'll do that for us. Thanks. We the people start saying we want fair maps at the city council and the county commission level. Then I think we're going to start making the state legislature a little more nervous. If we can get some wins, what I'd like to see, my hope and dream is that in 2021, we're going to get some wins at city council and county commission levels. And then in 2031, when we do this again statewide, we're going to be a whole lot more organized and we're going to know how to draw good maps, how to advocate for them, how to win. Welcome in. I, listen, I don't. I don't even know why I do this. I don't. I mean, I just we've just spent five minutes talking about pillows and cats uh, before we can come on the air, and I, I just. I mean, I, I, it's just. It's just, just I, hey, look, man. I, I have a. There's a small side of me that, that that I have come to realize in my old age. There's this slight side of me that likes interior design. So every once in a while, I'll see something and hey, I like that. That's all it was. Nothing oh, yeah. more complicated. I'm going to have to talk about football or something for a few minutes. I, I, like monster <laughs> trucks or shooting or something. I don't know what is going on here. I just, this, this is, <laughs> I, just, I, I don't know what is happening. I don't, him and uh, David and our producer uh, just on about pillows and cat. Oh, look at the cat and the pillows. It's just, what is going on? Stop it. <laughs> Uh, I just, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm in a house here with, with, with two girls and I just, you know, I'm vulnerable. So, uh, all right, but now we gotta, we got a good one despite the, no, no more pillow and cat talk. So uh, we have, uh, we, we've got a good one. Um, probably the best ever, uh, show that we've, we've done. Uh, Tabitha Eisner is, is going to join us and talk about redistricting and, uh, the problems that, uh, that, well, it comes from our, our re-gerrymandering, essentially, uh, that we're going to do. Um, but uh, first, we want to get into something. Well, you uh, forgot to say who you are and who I am. Oh, that's right. Well, I mean, I figured they knew from the pillow and cat talk who we were. Um, <laughs> I am Josh Moon, and the person that you're here laughing and talking about interior design and cats. Yeah, that'd be is... me, David Person, me. <laughs> okay. Interior yeah. designer. And this is Alabama Politics This Week, uh, by the way. This is, that's the podcast you're listening to, and all you right. should probably be aware of that since you clicked on it. Um, but, all right, so we're go, we're, we are going to start here. Um, and, and listen, this has been Stupid Week in Alabama, and there's a lot of stupid things to talk about. But we're going we're gonna to 
avoid some of that for the first part of the show, at least, um, and, and talk about things that are a bit more serious and um, a bit more consequential, I guess. And that is, uh, we're going to start with Tommy Tuberville this week uh, introduced a resolution, uh, I believe, in the Senate, kind of acknowledging the uh, the benefit of HBCUs, uh, historically black colleges and universities across the country, and, and noting that Alabama had the most in the uh, in the country. Um, and, you know, it's if for our friends on the other side of the aisle, there are no, there are no other um, white, historically white colleges because all the colleges were white <laughs> when right. these were created. Okay. That's yeah. the reason they don't exist. Uh, so, right. um, but uh, it, it was a nice thing. It was a nice thing that Tuberville has done. Um, and I, I mean, I've, this is like the fifth or sixth time now that I've had to say, this is a nice thing that Tuberville has done. Look at what Tommy Tuberville has done. Um, and because he's been on a nice campaign of late of doing decent things for uh, and actually doing his job and reaching out and talking to people and his constituents uh, that it, most of which did, or whom did not elect him. You know, did, they did not vote for him. And uh, and I think that that's a that's a very good thing that he has done there with this. Um, and, um, you know, because HBCUs are incredibly important. Um, you know, I, I covered Alabama. So I, I didn't know uh, about an HBCU before I got started in newspapers uh, back in the early 2000s. And as a matter of fact, that's how I kind of got to start in newspapers was I started covering sports uh, on a freelance basis when I was still in college. And one of the teams that I would cover uh, was Tuskegee. The, uh, another team that I covered was Alabama State in, in Montgomery. And I would go to their games, the football games on Saturdays and cover them and then eventually got hired on as the guy that covered Alabama State and um, really became an investigative reporter by investigating things that happened at Alabama State University. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I didn't know anything about a black university, about black culture. Uh, about the history of of stuff. I learned all of that without ever taking a class there. Mm -hmm. I learned all of that through Alabama State University and the people who I talked with on a daily basis. Uh, One of the first person, uh, the first guys that I met at Alabama State and dealt with was Fred Gray, which that's Mm -hmm. a bit of a a stroke of luck when you meet a guy that ought to be in all your history books on one of your first days at work. Uh, That's that's the kind of thing that an HBCU brings. And they serve communities uh, throughout this state, throughout the country that are underserved by today's colleges and universities, the historically white colleges and universities around the country. Uh, They don't serve black communities. They don't they do not take into consideration um, uh, the the poverty and the way the implications of that poverty on a lot of uh, black college applicants. And the, and there are not a lot of programs at other colleges like there are at HBCUs that work to serve those communities. And they have lifted thousands, if not millions of families out of oh, poverty. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, it is it's yeah. it, it's astounding the work that they do. They yeah. don't get the credit that they should. And I'm, I'm happy to see Tuberville recognize them. Well, as a as an HBCU graduate and as somebody who actually has only attended historically black schools from kindergarten through graduate school, even though I didn't complete graduate school, um, <clears throat> I can speak with uh, out of my personal experience and affirm what you said. 
um, the the importance of HBCUs, I think, is without question uh, at all levels, but especially and most notably at the college level. And I'm a proud graduate of Oakwood University, formerly Oakwood College here in Huntsville, a private HBCU. Uh, I did a year of graduate school at Alabama A&M University, uh, also here in Huntsville, and I'm, a, I'm proudly affiliated with both of those institutions. So I agree with you that what Senator Tuberville did was good. I'm glad he did it. However, I will say that what HBCUs need, a resolution is great. And let's also give credit to Tim Scott and um, the senator from South Carolina who joined with Tupperville on this, on this resolution, who I think they both sponsored it together. That's my understanding. Um, That's great. But what HBCUs need is not just resolutions. They need concrete action. Uh, uh, The senator that Tupperville replaced, uh, Doug Jones, Democrat, Uh, You know, he was very supportive of HBCUs in a substantive way, ensuring that uh, the HBCUs in our state and and elsewhere were able to get funding, critical funding that they needed. Mm -hmm. We need Tuberville to continue that tradition. You know, try to look for ways to ensure that HBCUs survive because they have been hard. They've been hit hard by COVID. Uh, Some of them have been hit by uh, other challenges. In fact, we're going to get into one of those here shortly in a minute. And and so they need they need support that goes beyond rhetoric. So I applaud this, but I also want to see uh, our senator do more. And I think you and you were saying to me off here, do you want to get into that, that he has sure. been starting that process? Yeah, I think that he's, you know, he, he's done some things behind the scene. I'll say that, uh, that because uh, I don't think that a lot of people want to, you know, to kind of talk about the private meetings and things like that. But And they're private for a reason, you know, they, yeah. uh, and not for a nefarious reason. They're private right. because people like, you know, they, they, they want to actually have this dialogue back and forth. And he's met with a lot of people, uh, uh, representatives of the black community and some others that are um, uh, representatives in this state um, and, and talk to them about their needs and things that he could help with in a very from uh, this came from them now this was not you know this is not from Tuberville's camp uh but they felt in a very genuine way uh thing th- things that he initiated with them uh to come to their turf and uh, and to have lunches with them and things like that um you know and listen I, I'm not excusing Tommy Tuberville telling you that he's going to be the you know the next great senator from the state of Alabama and he's all of a sudden not going to do anything else idiotic of course he's going to but uh, you know it, it is nice to see that maybe there has been a turn here and he is taking the the job of being a U.S. senator for this state more seriously uh, and, and taking his his responsibility to represent all of the all of the state uh, more seriously. So, uh, you know, and, you know, should you applaud somebody for doing the job that they're supposed to do? I, you know, I, I have some problems with that. But, you know, I, I always like to encourage if it'll lead to better things for, for good people who need it. And you're right, David, they they. Uh, they do need more substance in this. Uh, you know, I, th- I read a story uh, yesterday about Tennessee State uh, University needing three hundred and thirty million dollars worth of improvements on the campus that were in, you know, they were in dire need of improvements there. And you know, I, I was it covered um, um, a lot of the John Knight uh, versus the state of Alabama lawsuit. 
that took place, um, you know, over a long period of time, um, there where they challenged the funding that had gone to historically black colleges in this state and ultimately won a major federal court decision uh, that righted uh a history of wrongs. Uh, U.W. Clement, the federal judge, that uh, wrote that opinion and uh, and it and and held the state accountable for. I want to say it was two hundred and eighty some odd million dollars uh, that that these universities were owed over a period of time. And, yeah, it was some um, huge number. I can't yeah, remember the exact it, number. And it was because they had been funded unequally. As mm-hmm. compared to other colleges in the state, That's they right. had been treated unfairly. Um, and you know, I went through a similar deal in, in with Alabama State uh, with the governor that uh, that did his damnedest to shut that school down. Uh, uh, when I'm talking about Robert Bentley, um, and went through an investigation and and uh, just. Uh, meddling in the affairs of a university like I've never seen before, right? you know, of all the troubles that have gone on at Alabama and Auburn and uh, other colleges, he's never, no other governor has ever become as involved in a situation as Robert Bentley did at Alabama State University. And, and I think some of the people on that campus rightfully felt that it was because they had experienced uh, a tremendous growth over a period of time uh, and that they were had positioned themselves to maybe challenge some of those folks. And I, and I think it was also retribution for that lawsuit uh, in, in a lot of ways. Um, and so it, it, it went on and on. I mean, it, it cost the taxpayers of this state millions of dollars. And ultimately, there was nothing that was found out of this investigation. They, mm. they didn't indict a single soul. Uh, mm. Didn't even offer an indictment for anybody. So, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a problem. However, you know, you're right. Some do have problems, as all universities do. And, uh, you know, I've covered one um, Alabama A&M here over the last few weeks. They're searching for a president and um, it is not going well. <laughs> um, um, the alumni are uh, um, they're fractured for the most part, I would say. It would be a nice way of putting it. Uh, over the inclusion of one candidate in, in the final three, and that's uh, Daniel Wims, who's a current provost at A&M. Um, and there's some trouble. Um, there's, some, there's, some very, there's some very big trouble uh, with Mr. Wims. Mm-hmm. And you, uh, you've done extensive reporting on this. I have not done extensive reporting on it, but I've had a, a conversation or, or two uh, with some folks. And uh, there is indeed, uh, there's a serious problem, not just with Mr. Wims uh, or Dr. Wims, I think it's Dr. Wims, but also uh, just with the, um, with the fallout, you know, uh, from, from the accusations and the process. Uh, one, one A&M person was telling me, when I say A&M person, I mean somebody who's employed by the institution, was telling me yesterday that, uh, that every day, and this may be a slight exaggeration, I don't know, Josh, but, but uh, I was being told that every day there's some kind of email that is being circulated that, uh, you know, that raises eyebrows. And, and, and this person said, you know, if you're, you know, the hallway where their office is, you could hear people up and down the hallway going, what, 
what's the what what is this to back up and, yeah. and to give people kind of a, a better understanding of this so yeah. Daniel Williams has been a provost there for I want to say eight or twelve years I can't, I can't remember how long he's been he's been, been there for a fairly long time mm-hmm. um, and there are allegations that he has sexually harassed several women on that campus uh, people that he worked with and these are not Unnamed sources allegations. There are some unnamed sources allegations, but there are also a couple of women who have stepped up and put their names to these things. Uh, one was the director of their Title IX program, uh, and uh, Dr. Angel Dunlap, and she said, "Listen, he made my life hell uh, mm. here, but um, with repeated advances, and I had to continue to fight him off. And ultimately, she felt like uh, because she denied him, it cost her uh, her position." There and then ultimately cost her her job, mm-hmm. um, uh, and she was mm. fired while she was on medical leave. As a matter of fact, and so, wow. um, yeah. And then there was another gentleman who also had a, had a problem there with him, um, and you know it, it. And these are very serious, documented things. There have also been people that I've talked to that that worked within the HR uh, department uh, at A and M, and they were privy to uh, multiple. Uh, complaints against him that have somehow disappeared. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, and, and I'll say, I believe that to be the case because I was told there were no HR complaints against this man that they mm-hmm. could find. And then lo and behold, I was sent to HR complaints. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, wow. you know, so I, you know what I mean? When you lie to me about it or, or you're just very misinformed about this uh, because somebody is maybe covering this up from you. And so your search process cannot do an, uh, an adequate background check. Well, I believe then that something is amiss in that. And um, and I, I think that there are legitimate concerns for them about about him and the way he's conducted himself. And I, I don't know if there's been an email every day. But there have been a lot of emails, and this thing has been bungled from start to finish by people uh, in the administration there. I don't know why they're so dedicated uh, to holding on to Daniel Williams. Maybe they believe that it that it's a, um, you know, uh, all of us trying to make him into a big scapegoat for some something else. I don't, I don't really know, or just personal grudges or things like that. But um, you know, it is, there has been, there have been emails that have been sent out. You know, the president has sent out two, uh, one, a long letter, basically telling alumni to shove it. Uh, and then another one, uh, saying that he was going to, uh, uh basically threaten a lawsuit against yeah. a, a lady for a whole other, a whole other allegation that nobody had even reported on. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, you know, it, it's it's a troubling uh, situation that they have there with themselves. And, you know, and I, in the midst of it all, they've got two pretty other pretty good candidates um, there, and I, I think that they could they could do okay with either one. Yeah, you know, um, it's what what really pains me as uh, as a, an A and M alums alum and as uh, and as an HBCU alum is to see. This kind of thing happened, especially considering uh, at Alabama at Alabama A and M University before the tenure uh, of uh, Dr. Andrew Hugini. Unfortunately, Alabama A and M University was in the headlines a lot, a lot for really disturbing reasons at times. Didn't and somebody steal a pork chop somewhere? Yes, there was. Uh, there was. There were. There like was, uh, the president's wife, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. A, uh, 
Mrs. Gibson was alleged to have stolen a, a pork chop out of a um, from a grocery store, uh, which to me is not a reflection on the university. No. That's a uh, you know, assuming that that did indeed happen, I can't remember how it was adjudicated, but assuming it happened, you know, that suggests, uh, you know, some, you know, something else, you know, some kind of perhaps, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'll say some kind of, you know, she need if that happened, you uh, yeah, know, she needs issue, help. Yeah. Yeah, she yeah. has some personal problems that she right. needs to, to deal right. with. Yeah, that needs to be addressed. Yeah. But she certainly had the money to buy pork chops. I mean, you know, oh, without right. question. Yeah. yeah, without question. Yeah, so you know, it's um, but it was one other. But yes, indeed, it was one other thing. Yeah, that came up during a time where her husband was was uh was was being uh scrutinized and criticized for some serious things and some allegations i I don't remember all the details but um so you know it was it was really uh the the hugini tenure has largely been uh, for the most part has been a scandal-free tenure i mean there was some bumps in the road i think early on related to one of his uh uh, I want to say he was an executive assistant or something like that. Uh, but that but that seemed to resolve itself, I think, when the gentleman uh, left and took another job or something. And and so then it just seemed to be uh, a time of, of progress and development, certainly substantial growth in, in student enrollment and in buildings being built and so forth. Uh, now we come to the end of his tenure, and even even preceding this current situation, Josh, I know that there there've been some minor, uh, uh, I'll say, debates about uh, the treatment of historical buildings on campus. I know that's been a that's been a serious issue, and there's been uh, a lot of discussion in the A and M community, especially the alumni, about about that. And now we have this situation. So I think it's unfortunate that now we're we're in this situation where the key issue seems to be, and this is not unique to Alabama A&M University. Uh, I've seen it in other places. In fact, it's it's not really hard to find. There there are questions always about transparency and accountability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's what seems to be the fundamental disagreement right now. It's about whether or not the, the the process of selecting a new president has been transparent enough and whether or not there's been enough accountability. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, and, and you're right. Uh, it should be pointed out that that, that there are issues um, as bad or worse on other campuses. As a matter of fact, there was a major protest at Auburn University this week uh, in which uh, students gathered to protest uh, the covering up of sexual assaults on that campus uh, or what they believed was the cover up of sexual assaults on that campus, I should say. I, I have no evidence that they have actually been covered up, but uh, the students feel pretty strongly about that. And I would say that there's probably some evidence to back up their complaints. Um, and so, you know, the, these things that they do happen at, at other universities. And I, I, I'll say this as, as somebody who covered an HBCU for a long time, I do think that they get, they get unfairly singled out a lot. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, because it's great fun uh, for a lot of white people to say, "Ooh, look at all those black folks messing up with their, with their school over there," you know. And I think they take some some joy and some pride in that. Um, that you know, it's um, you know, I uh, with this, it I, I'm trying to be very careful with the way that I say this, um, okay. but it seems to me from having done this for a long time, talking about the A&M situation specifically, it seems to me that maybe there is a problem with certain entities wanting the status quo to remain the status quo at A&M, um, whether it be for financial concerns, personal financial concerns, um, or... Um, you know, personal job security or what what have you. I think some people would like very much to see the Hugini uh, presidency just kind of continue on uh, under a different name. Mm. And I think that is what a lot of the alumni also believe and why they have such a problem with Williams because they do not believe that he is the best candidate here, that he is a qualified candidate for this as compared to the others uh, who are in the final group. And really, they have a uh, from the people that I've talked to, they have a much, much bigger problem with the people from uh, who applied, who were eliminated. Um, mm. And nobody can really understand why they were eliminated that I've been right. sent. I, I've been sent at least 12 uh, uh, resumes of people who uh, applied or allegedly applied for this job. And people are like, what the hell happened to this guy? You know, right. why didn't he get a look on something? Right. Um, and so I think that is, you know, which it doesn't necessarily mean something is, is illegal uh, that's taking place here or, or necessarily even really improper uh, because, you know, as we'll, we'll talk about with, uh, with Tabitha Eisner uh, and, and the gerrymandering, often that is a personal thing where the people are trying to protect their own uh, jobs and income. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and so I think that's kind of the same thing that we're talking about here is you're just looking at people who are, I would rather dance with the, with the devil I know uh, sort of deal um, and, you know, and, and not take the chance that we're, we're going to get somebody in that rocks this boat and either cost me a land deal or, you know, a hotel deal or something like that. And, right. and it just, you know, doesn't it, things don't don't go their way. Yeah, that's that's true. I think I think all of that is though all of those concerns and, and possibilities are have merit, uh, you know, your evaluation of what may be going on. And, you know, and it's, it's also true that at HBCUs and at, you know, even predominantly white institutions, mm-hmm. you know, when you start factoring in the feelings of not just faculty and staff and administrators and students, but alumni, mm-hmm. you're really talking about what fundamentally is a family, you know, and and families have a lot of squabbles. I've seen yes. it. At Oakwood University, where my alma mater, uh, I've seen it at Alabama A&M University, my alma mater. We see it with uh, Auburn and Alabama. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, alumni have Auburn real... hired a president in the dark of night and flew that dude in before anybody even knew the presidential search was underway. <laughs> so, wow. yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, it happens. I mean, yeah. you know, and, and so you have this, again, you have questions being raised about, what's being done and why and who's doing it and who's benefiting. 
And, uh, and you know, people are passionate and they should yeah. be. That, that, that shows yeah. they care. Yeah. Uh, but there does have fundamentally, I think we all agree, no matter what institution we're talking about, um, there's got to be accountability and there's got to be transparency. Yeah. If you want buy-in, for, especially from alumni, often, you know, and these are often people who will or who at least will at least consider sending their children back there. You better be transparent. You better be yeah. accountable. Yeah. And it's, you know, and, and rightfully so, you know, t- mm. taxpayer dollars going into this, th- into those schools. And, yep. um, you know, I, and I have, um, you know, I've said of all the schools around the state, um, uh, we don't have nearly enough transparency on things. Um, you know, from, uh, from the buildings, uh, that are, that are being erected, how are those contracts being handled and who's mm. getting rich off those things, uh, to, you know, to even the, the way the athletes are treated. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll never forget a few years ago, trying to get records of the drugs that were administered, uh, to, to athletes during a football game. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, one university, Troy, uh, just sent them to me, uh, you know, didn't, didn't, didn't have any problems at all. I sent a request in, they sent them to me, uh, university of Alabama and Auburn university, uh, both said that I was in, encroaching on HIPAA, uh, there by, uh, all I wanted to know was what, you know, how many times, uh, a painkiller had been administered mm-hmm. uh, during a football that's season. That's no HIPAA encroachment. That's no, of course BS. Not. Of course <laughs> not. But they know they know what, what I know, which is and yeah. newspapers are struggling financially. And so if you want that information, which you're rightfully entitled to, and they're not giving it to you, you have one option, and that's to hire an attorney, spend thousands of dollars, and sue them. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and you're going to sue them before, usually before judges that graduated from Auburn or Alabama. <laughs> so that's, you know, welcome to the state, baby. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right, let's uh, let's slide out of here, and then uh, we'll we'll get Tabitha Eisner, and then before we wrap up, we'll get into all the stupid shit that happened this week. So, uh, and there is a ton of that. So stick around. We'll be right back. The power brokers that determine who gets the shiny campaign set up and who doesn't um, is kind of an old boys club. And we didn't want to have to turn those clients away because they couldn't afford the big consultant minimums to hire a pricey consulting firm. So we created Turn It Blue Digital to give down ballot candidates an option um, and give them a way to look like they know what they're doing, even if they don't always feel like they do. Well, uh, talk about uh, some of the options. Like, uh, give give people an example of, of what you could do if, if they wanted to run for, you know, the county commission, or they wanted to run for, for you know, a state house seat. Right. So the first thing we would do is um, get them started with a launch kit. So this is everything a candidate needs to look um, professional online, to have everything set up and running smoothly. Um, one of my other favorite projects we've been working on, we just rebuilt this platform from the ground up, um, is a ad buying platform. So you can go in in 15 minutes for $500 and run your own display ads, run your own video ads, um, and even run your connected TV. Um, so your Peacock, your Hulu, that kind of stuff. How do people get in touch with you? How do, how do they find out what you're all about and, and see the pricing and get signed up? Yep, so we are at turnitbluedigital.com. Um, you can tweet me SC Clayton five. Um, you can email me Beth at turnitbluedigital.com. Um, but turnitbluedigital.com is the best way to, to submit that inquiry form and get started.
Welcome back to Alabama Politics This Week. David Person, Josh Moon, and we are really pleased to have with us Tabitha Eisner. If you don't know that name, you should know that name because Tabitha has been a major player in Democratic uh, Alabama Democratic politics now for uh, several years. Uh, she has run for, in fact, she actually ran for the position of uh, party chair uh, a couple of years ago, and she's been a candidate, a statewide candidate, I believe. Is that right, Tabitha? Was it statewide? Congressional candidate. Congressional, yes. Congressional candidate. Mm-hmm. Alabama's second. The second uh, congressional district. Second. So we welcome you, Tabitha, uh, to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, David. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So uh, we wanted to have you on because, as I told Josh, you have been getting rave reviews for your presentation on redistricting, trying to help uh, voters, I think all voters, but especially Democratic voters, to understand uh, what what is at stake uh, with this current redistricting process that the state is in and and how we can affect the process uh, to ensure equitable outcomes. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing? Sure. Um, So I am participating in a coalition of groups. Um, They are uh, nonpartisan groups. Um, It's the Alabama Election Protection Network, Hometown Organizing Project, League of Women Voters, Alabama Forward, a whole bunch of organizations across the state that have recognized that redistricting is a key part of protecting democracy as an institution. And Alabama is at risk right now. This will be the first year since the 1965 Voting Rights Act passed that there will not be any uh, federal oversight on the maps that Alabama draws. And that's a little terrifying given Alabama's history um, to imagine that there'll be less oversight, less supervision, less making sure that we're not that we're not as a state um, drawing maps that will systematically oppress black voters. And you're you're making a reference, I think, uh, for those who don't know, to the Supreme Court ruling uh, in, uh, 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 let me see, it was Holder versus uh, Shelby County, right? Yep, that's right, 2013. Right. Uh, that Supreme Court ruling that basically gutted Section 5 of the, of the Voting Rights Act, uh, placing, uh, we think, placing um, historically disenfranchised counties in even further jeopardy uh, as it relates to the right to vote. So um, so you have been you've been going around trying to help people to understand uh, what's at stake and 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 why we have to take action. What action are you actually uh, advocating that people take? Yeah, so we are teaching people how to look at their current map and evaluate um, what is going on in a map and how then to look at potential alternative maps and evaluate what they're seeing. So most people know the term gerrymandering, but they wouldn't necessarily know it if they saw it. So, you know, most of us think um, if you haven't had a lot of background on this, you might think a district is gerrymandered if it's shaped funny. If it looks like an octopus or it looks like a clown carrying a dinosaur, then it's probably a gerrymander. But actually, gerrymandering is not about shape. It is about the distribution of political power. So you have to look for something more than a funny shape. You have to be looking for looking at the um, demographic data 
um, uh, on top of the district data and seeing where those do and don't line up. And so helping people to develop those skills and feel more confident that they they have what it takes to evaluate a map and decide whether a map is empowering or disempowering their community. Yeah, you know, I, I will say most I think the idea that most people have about the odd shapes, it comes from. Uh, we've seen very often uh, in this state and others where the the little slim finger will run up on a map and grab a, a certain segment of population, mainly black community, um, and and pull it into a district to keep it from influencing uh, a, a different district. And that, to me, our and also I want to see if you agree. the The biggest problem we have here is not so much. A, uh, a lack of representation overall in in the legislature. For, I mean, and I'm just talking about the, our state legislature for right now. But, um, but it's not so much a lack of representation of black voters in in the legislature, uh, because I think we have, you know, uh, the percentage wise, it plays out basically the way it should. But it's that it's stacked black voters to keep them from influencing other districts. And so we get these hyper partisan sort of races uh, that have led to, you know, maybe some guy standing on the Capitol steps and saying that yoga is the biggest threat to our school children. Um, you know, so something along those lines. Is that am I wrong about that or is that just one piece? That, that's an important piece, um, mm -hmm. but it's not the only piece. So um, I think one thing that's funny about those fingers as they stretch up and um, so Terry Sewell's congressional district, Congressional wow. District 7, is a perfect example where it reaches up into Birmingham, it reaches over into the black part of Montgomery, and it reaches down towards Mobile and grabs the black population head toward the bay. And that seems like a gerrymander. Um, but also the, the Voting Rights Act, Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, which still stands, requires that states create majority-minority districts when possible. So Alabama was required to create a district that would be majority black. So just because there's a finger doesn't necessarily mean something awful's happening. But if you put as many black voters as you possibly can into one district, mm -hmm. you can get well beyond 50 percent. 50 percent is required by the law. 62 percent is not required. And that's mm -hmm. what we've got right now. We've got Terry Sewell's district being 62 percent black. It doesn't need to be that high. And because so many black folks are, as you said, Josh, packed into that one district, there aren't black folks left over to influence the other districts. The other great example we see is between District 2 and District 3 over by Macon and Bullock. The, the east side of the black belts is, you know, it's a significant black population on the east side of the state. Um, and, and the district line between District 2 and District 3 runs right through that black community, <laughs> ensuring that that black community can't vote as a block. Half of them are in district two and half are in district three. And in both places, they're not a significant enough minority to have any kind of political power. Mm -hmm. So we do it. They, they do gerrymandering by packing more black folks than they need to into minority districts and then making sure they break up black blocking um, black political blocks in other districts. Yeah, and you know, I, I say because I hear a lot of times about uh, you know the the way we have lost white working class voters in the Democratic Party, um, and and I 
And I think this kind of leads people to believe falsely that that, that is a much bigger problem than it than it has been. Uh, because, I mean, it is because you have such a split of voters, a black and white in the Democratic Party. When you pack in one group, whether it was white or black, it seems like it really, you know, hurts the others in, in terms of influence. Um, and so it just kind of has made it seem as though we've got a much lower uh, white progressive vote in this state than I think is actually represented when you look at statewide races and you see that 40 plus percent are voting for the Democratic candidate for governor, where, where you know, where is that represented elsewhere? It, it, yeah. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not represented in anything that we do elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely right. So I think it's real interesting if you, if you try and draw a map and and, and, you know, this has happened with some of the maps that we've seen come out uh, that people have proposed. Um, people often want to draw a map to be majority Democrat or majority Republican. But we'll use the Democrat example since we're talking about race. If you can draw a majority Democrat district that is only about 35 percent black. But the law, the federal law says you, in order to call it a majority minority district, you've got to make it at least 50 percent black. So we have this strange effect where, um, you know, there is actually an there are quite a few white Democrats. And if we were allowed to, you know, create districts based on, you know, the majority of the folks uh, of the Democrats were black, we'd have we'd have way more majority minority districts in this state. But because you have to hit 50 percent black, um, we're not able to encourage democratic alliances between black and white folks. So um, that's part of, I think, just baked into the um, the recipe of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Yeah, I was going to because in in recourse, am I am I wrong in like it, let's say they draw these things and they're going to be obviously terrible and we know they're going to be terrible. Um, and it, do we have a recourse outside of race? To rely on can can you go by party to to say look you know you can't go by I mean registered voters it seems like that would be about I mean if we're talking about you know gerrymandering for a party it would seem as though disenfranchising a party would be as illegal in this matter as as race right yeah so the Supreme Court has said by has said that partisan gerrymandering is legal or at least it is not something that the Supreme Court will interfere in yeah. specific states can make a law against partisan gerrymandering, but Alabama does not have such a law and don't hold your breath that they're going to set one. So, you know, what we, the only thing you also, you know, gerrymandering, bipartisan gerrymandering is also legal. Bipartisan gerrymandering is when, uh, let's say uh, you're a Democrat and I'm a Republican, Josh, and we have districts that are right next to each other. So we both barely won our race last time. We have the option to get together and discuss and say, now, if I take that neighborhood that's real Republican and then you take the neighborhood that's real Democrat, the next time around, you'll win with 65 percent. I'll win with 65 percent. We won't have to even spend money on the race. Deal? Yeah. So you and I strike that deal. It's technically not partisan gerrymandering because it's not changing who controls that seat. But it makes the seats less competitive. And when seats are less competitive. Uh-huh. As the incumbent, what reason do you have to listen to the people when they ask you for something when you know you can't lose? You yeah, exactly. literally can't lose. 
Well, this is beginning to sound more and more like uh, the antithesis of democracy. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That's so, right. so my question then is what what realistically, Tabitha, from this point forward, based on where we are now in the process, what realistically can people do? This this podcast is dropping on Friday, September the seventeenth. What can people do? from this point forward, to try to uh, create a more equitable and fair process? Well, I think it starts at the local level. So, you know, to, to get, if we wanted to really have an impact on statewide maps, we'd have to build a coalition of people representing every single district across the state of Alabama and say, this is the map we want. And if you don't do it, we're gonna vote you out of office. I don't think that's going to happen. A, I don't think we can get that kind of support gathered. And B, I don't think it's people's voting priority when it comes to their state legislators. So I don't think we have a lot of realistic options other than a lawsuit um, for statewide maps. However, your county commission and your city council are also going through this process. And they are, that's much smaller. If you gather a hundred people in a, even in a town like Montgomery, if you gather a hundred people together and say, we demand a map and you can get people from all five, all seven districts in your town to agree on something. And you say, this is what we want. And if you don't do it, it's going to look real bad for you. And we might vote you out for it. That's a lot easier organizing projects than a statewide organizing project. And if we start demanding maps at the city council and county commission level, if we the people, I'm not talking partisan, I mean, we the people. If we the people start saying, we want fair maps at the city council and the county commission level, then I think we're gonna start making the state legislature a little more nervous. If we can get some wins, what I'd like to see, my hope and dream is that in 2021, we're gonna get some wins at city council and county commission level and then in 2031, when we do this again statewide, we're going to be a whole lot more organized and we're going to know how to draw good maps, how to advocate for them, how to win. So it sounds like in order for that to happen, you're going to be pretty busy over the next 10 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to go to every city and every county. That's, uh, <laughs> well, we've been working with, um, let's see, I think there are eight counties that are planning to push on their county commissions or city councils, county commission and or city council. Some of them are doing both um, and draw their own maps. Um, you know, trying to work directly with them in a collaborative way is always better. Like this doesn't have to be a fight. We don't always have to fight. Uh, there are county commissioners and city council members who are willing to, you know, talk collaboratively about what a good map would look like. Um, that's always the first choice is let's just, get along while we do it. But if they want to fight, I, fighting at the local level is the way to do it. And honestly, this is a, it is a bipartisan issue. People on both sides of the aisle are tired of having non-competitive races. Yeah. No wonder yeah. people don't care about politics. If the races aren't competitive, why should you closely follow who the candidates are? It doesn't matter. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think people often kind of dismiss those city council and county commission races. Um, but if your garbage isn't getting picked up, 
Who's got the biggest problem? You know what I mean? I mean, that's a, you know, what, what do you care more about? You know, I mean, really, you know, is it, you know, your street being clean or, you know, whatever is happening with the prison bill? What what matters to you more every single day? Uh, and so I think that it's very important. And we all know, we have all lived in a city. We have all been around somewhere where there is a city council person that rarely shows up for meetings, that you can't get on the phone no matter how many times you call. Uh, and it and that person wins with 91% of the vote every single time. And it's just, and you're like, you know, what do you got to do? And uh, and so, I, and the county commission, you know, people just dismiss the county commission. Those dudes control so much money. And I say dudes right. because it's almost all dudes in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, there are a few women, but they control so much money for roads and all that. I mean, it is crazy. So, you know, if even if this is just an entry point for you into caring about city council races and county commission races, I wish people would do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just. Well, and it matters who you're associated with, who you're, you know, in your community if you have a group of people, um, you know, that uh, several neighborhoods that think of themselves as one, mm-hmm. one community, and then the map is drawn where it cuts right through that community and separates it out. Sometimes people, you know, in, in a little subdivision, half, you know, one side of the street is in one district and the other side's in the other. If you want something done on your street, now you've got to call two different people and try and get them to work together as opposed to just calling the one person and saying what it is you need. You know, people like Montgomery, we've got, you know, to go back to congressional, we've got three different congressional representatives in Montgomery for Montgomery. And uh, only one of them has an office in Montgomery. We're the state capital, And only yeah. one of our congressional reps has an office yeah. in Montgomery. If you want something done, good luck. Yeah, well, wow. I mean, and it's not just wow. that. It's not just there. Here, um, I live in, in Madison. I live in the county of Limestone, somehow or another. My wow. neighbor lives in the county of Madison. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a, and then we go back and forth. I tried to get a recycling bin. I, they gave it to me and then come and took it away because I wasn't in the right county. It just was, <laughs> I mean, but I Even they can't keep track. And some of that is due to the uh, the annexing, which is kind of yes. a wild, wild west situation, at least to me. That's what yes. it looks like. Yeah, so, let's have a whole other conversation sometime about annexing and how precincts are established. Like mm-hmm. where you have to go to vote. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Fascinating yes. how all that gets decided. So, so <laughs> Tabitha, if people want to plug into what you're doing maybe even solicit your help, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Yeah, so they can go to um, Alabama Election Protection Network. You can Google that. VoteProtection.org is the website. Uh, But you can also just Google Alabama Election Protection Network. And there are uh, links there where you can just click on, I need help with map making, or I need to go through a basic training so I know what I'm talking about. And it's not too late to get involved in doing that. I I can teach you how to draw your own map for free with nothing more than an internet connection in an hour. And you'll be cranking along, drawing your own maps, scaring your local county commissioners and city council. and, (laughs) And that's kind of fun. We should all be trying to scare our local elected officials. 
Yeah, they don't worry enough. God knows. They don't worry <laughs> enough about us. Yeah. And are you going to are you going to continue to uh, be involved in in this way uh, as we move towards the twenty twenty two elections, or do you have something else? In- um, I am focused on this okay. uh, for the time being, and you know, I, I don't know, I don't know mm. what district I live in, so I couldn't possibly decide uh, if I was okay. going to run for anything. Yeah. When, yeah until true. these maps are drawn, every if you're not an incumbent and you've announced that you're running for office, good luck to you because you might find out come November that you don't live in that district mm. anymore. Good point. It's definitely it's be a, a lot of fun turning to people in too. Yeah. yeah, they're the only people in the state who know what district they live in. Mm. Good point. <laughs> the rest <laughs> of us are are guessing. Yeah. So we we shall see what happens. But um, I think this is important work, and I imagine I'll be doing it again in 2031. All right, Lord. Yes. Well, God bless Long-term you. Long-term plans. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Uh, all right. Well, listen, we, we appreciate you, yeah. you coming on and um, and sharing and, yeah. and for the work in general. Uh, I mean, because it is it is very, very important work. And that's it's often the case. The most important work is the, um, you know, I, I don't want to say boring because I think it, that casts a bad light on it. Because, uh, you know, and believe me, I've done a lot of boring work that is very important. So I understand I'm not knocking it at all. Uh, but it is it's not the stuff that people focus on. It's not it's not catching headlines um, and, until there's a lawsuit or something like that. But when you're doing the actual day to day work, it's just it's kind of a grueling grind on everybody. And so it's I know it's not fun, but we do really appreciate it. And hopefully you, you've educated a lot of people on on how this works and they can be better informed and more involved in stuff. So thanks a lot for that. Absolutely. Well, I I just keep thinking about all the time that we spend knocking on doors and phone banking for our candidate of choice. Um, You know, all the money that's raised. um, And the truth is if the seat is our, if the map was drawn to make that seat not competitive, Mm -hmm. you can knock and phone bank and send postcards till you're sick. And it's not going to make an ounce of a difference. So I just came to realize that there's no, you know, I, I, I need to focus on the root issue yeah. and the root issue is the maps, not a matter well, of getting to Josh's point, you know, Tabitha, we need to figure out if there's a way with this issue to get into some good old fashioned name calling and demonizing. We got to figure out what group can we target? Uh, you know, the, the 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 conservatives are targeting transgendered students and yoga and critical race theory. Mm-hmm. We need to find something or someone that we can demonize. Yeah. Yeah. There you get go. Some headlines. Yeah. I think this is why I think this is why I haven't won a race yet is because I'm just not very good at the demonizing. <laughs> Hey, they're no, just there you casting go. out that. Casting she's out got a, she's got a, you're, you're yeah. a minister. You can work, figure out how to work that in. I want to pray for them and tell them that, you know, I want to ask them what happens, you know, who hurt you is much more my approach than the- <laughs> work it, work an exorcism in there. That might do yeah. it, you know, no, um, my style. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Thanks well, for joining us. In this us state, time. we need some. Yeah. We appreciate you, really. Thank you for Absolutely. joining us. Absolutely. Thank you all so much. I appreciate it. All right. All right. Tap the Eisner, Josh. Doing yeah, God's man. work. Uh, yeah, uh, really? literally Seriously. and literally Seriously. and figuratively. Yes, yeah. it's uh, yeah, it, yeah. Uh, it's it's good stuff, and uh, mm-hmm. and it is. It's important work, and 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 it's it's 
you know, God bless those people that go around and do that all the time and uh, and, and bang their head against walls. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with banging yeah. my head against the wall, but uh, it's uh, it is it's tough, man. It is no joke. So, but uh, all right, let's uh, let's slide out. We'll come back in a minute and uh, and wrap up this baby here with your uh, with your right wing nuts and, and things right. like that. So, uh, back in a minute. Hey, everybody. If you would uh, like an opportunity to interact with us here at Alabama Politics this week, uh, we've got a great way for you to do that. Uh, Shoot a question over to apwproducer at gmail.com. That's apwproducer at gmail.com. Anything about Alabama politics you want to know about what what everybody likes to drink or uh, where everybody likes to hang out or whatever, whatever your question may be. Uh, what chances the Democrats might have uh, in the uh, the upcoming midterm elections? Uh, shoot us a question over at apwproducer at gmail.com. apwproducer at gmail.com. Thanks. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Um, Josh Moon, David Person. Um, so we got... Uh, We've been remiss in not doing not and not answering your questions or or, put, or, or reading your really ridiculous reviews. <laughs> um, I'm so tired of these reviews. David's so awesome. This David is great. A professional <laughs> radio man is David, and that slug Josh is over there too. By the way, uh, I mean, God's sakes, people! Just one nice review about me. How about that? One yeah. nice review. The best, the closest we've come so far is a lady said that uh, I assume it was a lady. Might might have been a man. I, I that was very sexist of me because I was they were running on a treadmill and said that the faster I talk, the faster they ran. That's the <laughs> nicest anything anybody has said about me. It's the nicest comment so far about me. Well. I've always yeah. told you that I'm a big fan of yours. I have been for years. No, it's, so. yeah, and that's why I don't mind reading these reviews that praise you endlessly. <laughs> Alabama Newshound says, David Person is a veteran radio, television, and print journalist and does an excellent job with the interviews and has some great guests and topics. <laughs> I mean, it's like I'm not even here. <laughs> for God's sake. <laughs> 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 I just, for, I mean, for fuck's sakes, like, I'm not even here. Uh, uh, he and Josh work very well together. Oh, there I am. I got I made it in. I made it in and bring some levity to some of the heavy issues we face. I think. Thanks. I guess I brought the levity. I don't know. Yeah, That's you're so, in there. You're I mean, in there. Yeah, you made the review. Good job, buddy. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I believe me. After this sure. podcast, David's after- ass is out here writing these. I know what's happening. David's newshound. No, that's a who no. is newshound? Ooh, that's an interesting name. Yeah. <laughs> I guarantee you. After this, yeah, I know the the reviews just praising you to high heavens are going to start pouring in. I guarantee you. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, you're probably right. Yeah, that's that's what's going to happen, I'm sure. Um, all right, let's see. Here we go. Uh, question from Scott Barlow. Uh, do y'all know if Walt Maddox is going to run again against Kay Ivey again? And is he someone who could ever unseat her? Hmm. Well, I do not know. 
if he's going to run against KIV. However, I would doubt it because uh, Walt put a lot of effort and time uh, into that last gubernatorial race, uh, traveled, hit all 67 counties, went all over the state all the time, talked to people, connected with people, uh, got great feedback from from folks all around the state uh, and ended up with 40% of the vote. And so uh, I know that they were very, very discouraged in that campaign uh, with the results, uh, given how hard he worked and the reception he received with so many people who claimed to be uh, centrists uh, and undecided um, and other nonsense. And then they went right out and voted for a straight Republican ticket and didn't even give him a chance. Um, And so I I don't, you know, could he unseat her? Not until the Democratic Party in the state does a lot more work and and lays a lot more inroads uh, into that. I don't think that it wouldn't it wouldn't matter. You know, right now, uh, John Ossoff and uh, Raphael Warnock could walk over here and and they wouldn't do any better than 40 percent just because of the lay of the land that we have here. Uh, We've got to change that. Yeah, I agree with you. I think if Jesus Christ were to walk on water, uh, you know, if he were to if he were to, you know, walk on water down the Tennessee River Mm -hmm. and say, I'm a Democrat, vote for me, it really wouldn't matter. I don't. Yeah. I don't think it would matter one bit. It, it would, <coughs> and know. plus, his feet would be burning from all the three M pollution. But um, from all know, of the what? <laughs> the three M pollution. Um, it just know, wouldn't uh, matter. Yeah, it, it, it you know, this is the composition of our state is such that it would not matter. I I do think it's possible for a Democrat to be elected statewide, but I think against this governor, no, I don't think that's the race where it's possible. Uh, unless something really now, the one caveat I'm going to throw out there is if this COVID problem continues to be, and we didn't even talk about that. And both of us mm-hmm. wrote columns about, about governor Ivy and COVID this week, mm-hmm. um, that I think people should read. Um, but if this COVID problem becomes much worse, considerably worse. And if we see not only, you know, the kinds of deaths that we would hate to see directly from COVID, but if we also begin to see more of the ripple effect in terms of how it's affecting hospitals and healthcare workers and hospital systems, and if the governor does not change her posture on this, then it is possible then, I think, for somebody, and I don't know if it's Walt or somebody else, but I think it would be possible then for somebody to come along and really give Governor Ivy, as a Democrat, give her run for the money. Uh, but but I don't see a Democrat coming along to do that otherwise. Uh, I just don't see it. I don't think it's Walt. I don't think there's anybody who could do it at this point unless that happens. Yeah, it'd be a real it'd be a real shock uh, to me to for somebody to to be able to unseat her from the Democratic side of this. Uh, you know, I would I would say mixed in with that, um, you know, if you had, let's say she's going to get a challenge, and she probably will get a, a primary challenge uh, mm-hmm. from somebody to the right of her, uh, whether it be Tim James or uh, Linda Blanchard, um, uh, you know, or <laughs> wait, Linda Blanchard. 
Yeah, I think she's going to drop out of the Senate race and run for governor. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, and oh, she's going to run for something else because I mean, she ain't uh, as they as they say, she ain't hitting on nothing in that Senate race. Um, she, and, she's not. But does she really? Are you hearing that she really thinks she would do better running against Governor? Yes, Ryan? there are, there are a lot of people that that would like to see her, and I and I'm not convinced that that's why Tim James did not announce on Wednesday because he was um, he had told people that he was announcing on Wednesday uh, to the point where there were some people, some some political consultants out there who believed that they were going to be getting contracts on Wednesday uh, to work on his campaign. Uh, and he's working through uh, through Bill Armstead, who, you know, has oh, been around politics for a long time in the state. And, uh, and so that group and, and you know, uh, the guy that was advising Tommy Tuberville, uh, Stan McDonald up in Huntsville. Uh, here is uh, is also involved in that, and so um, I think that they are, you know, they're looking for a viable candidate to run to the right of Kayabi, and um, Tim is batshit crazy, uh, as everybody <laughs> saw, um, and Linda Blanchard is crazy as well, but not quite as crazy, and and a bit more uh, palatable than than Tim James uh, in every single way, uh, but it's just. Um, you know, so I think that that's that's probably going to happen. Um, you know, is that is that she's going to do that? But I, I think so. This is my I say all that to say this: um, if if she gets beaten up and they and they kind of divide into a into a nasty race for, in the primary, uh, that then turns off a base of voters, uh, a voter support uh, that would ordinarily be there for her. Uh, to boost those numbers, well, then you start to lower that from sixty to into the low fifties, and um, you know, then if you can change the out, you know, the 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 voter numbers, the turnout numbers on that, then I think you have a real chance. And I think the only way you change those turnout numbers is you find an an exciting candidate. Uh, who also connects with communities where we know there are a lot of eligible voters who are not voting. And I think we can, you can kind of figure out where I'm going with that. Uh, but uh, that to me is the, the only pathway that, that I see for a Democrat to be able to, to, to challenge Ivy in a statewide race or in any statewide race, not just Ivy, but any of these people is you, you, need, you, you need kind of a bloodbath in the primary uh, which which then leaves some people with a bad taste in their mouth and they don't go to the polls and vote in the general election. So mm. that's just me. Uh, well, you know, our producer, before we go to right one nut of the week, right wing nut of the week, our producer raises an interesting follow-up question, which is, uh, isn't part of rebuilding running good candidates? And I, I think that's a good point. You know, we've we've got to inspire people. We've got to give them a reason. You know, uh, we got to give Democrats and eligible potential Democratic voters a reason to get engaged, a reason to want to be engaged. And if we if we don't do a better job of fielding candidates, you know, that that's not going to happen. I mean, don't you I, agree? Yeah, I, don't, I don't disagree at all. Um, but but I will say the Democrat the Democratic Party's main issue in this state right now is communications and messaging. Um, they are terrible at both right now. 
Um, it is not that they do not that they don't have a good message. They do. They have they have great messages that resonate well with with working class people of all races uh, up and down the line, and with a majority of these people. The problem is is that they are untrained um, and disorganized when it comes to putting out those messages. Um, and I'll give you an example. Uh, after President Biden issued his vaccine rule. Uh, it's not a mandate. It's a vaccine rule because you're not mandated to take the vaccine. You either take the right. vaccine or you take weekly tests or you quit your damn job, whatever you want to do. Um, or your employer pays 14 grand uh, for you. Um, so all, all of those things you can do are an option in that. But after he implemented that, we were, as a news organization at APR, inundated with, oh, my God, Hitler. Uh, it, it messages from Republicans, uh, re- elected Republicans, not just you know, crazy people that email us, uh, but elected Republicans. And it was obvious from the tone and the and the language in those messages and, the, and those statements and things that we got that there had been a concerted effort within the Republican Party nationally and at the state level to send out talking points that they could copy and use. We got zero from Democrats. Hmm. Matter of fact, the only response I got from anybody was when I called and asked them for one. <laughs> and okay. so, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And so, and listen, that I'm, I'm not really criticizing anybody with that. It, it's because it, what, I, what I'm saying is, is people need to understand today's news systems here, okay? Uh, and, and how you can control uh, the news right now with with just sending out those statements because I guarantee you if we had gotten statements from or there had been statements sent to the Montgomery Advertiser, AL.com, uh, all the TV stations, every single one of them would have used at least some of those statements and it would have provided people with a counterbalance to the crazy coming from the Republicans. All right. It would have said, wait a minute, it's not a vaccine mandate. Well, you know, we got a safe and effective vaccine. Uh, it's not a mandate. You can take the test if you want to take the test. But you know what? We got a, a virus running around here that's killed 700,000 Americans. So how about you get your asses out there and do the patriotic thing? You know, um, you know, that that sort of thing. It, you know, it's uh, there are exemptions for the for the vaccine. There's all sorts of things that take place. But a, a message of reason and uh, and there and we didn't have it. And I, I think that's a, the biggest problem that we have right now is presenting that message out to people on a daily basis and just every single day. You know, sure. and just, I mean, and, and that's because Republicans are fantastic at it. They will send you that crazy stuff all day long and twice on Sundays, all the time. All of them will send it out, you know, and they never miss a beat. They love their Facebook. They love their Twitter, uh, you know, and, and that's, most of them have got people who do it for them, uh, which is fine. You can you can get people to do it for you. But it's that's where we're that's to me where we're missing uh, as, as Democrats in the state where they're missing the biggest. Uh, it's a free it's free publicity for you, basically, and 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 it's being missed uh, for the most part. And I think until we fix that, it doesn't matter uh, what kind of candidates we run. Uh, you know, people don't know anything about them. People don't know anything about the message. P- the message is being shaped by the other side, and they're putting words in in Democratic candidates' mouths, and that's a problem. So, yep. yeah. All right. Uh, stupid stuff that happened. Um, this was. 
this was one of the stupidest weeks in Alabama politics in a, in a while. <laughs> um, starting with uh, Ivy and her fake Facebook fight, mm. um, which is just such a glorious story that I, I don't even think many people understand. So what happened was the cat, the, it was on Tuesday, I believe uh, Ivy's office sends out this and the campaign sends out this statement saying that the Ivy campaign account had been taken down by Facebook, but that the governor fought back. And I mean, she used the word honey in the statement, honey, if you believe something or other. <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> and I mean, you know what I mean? It was so dumb. And you, you know, when she sent it out, uh, I, you just kind of looked at it and thought something's not right right there. You know, <laughs> that's something's something's weird with this. And so uh, Eddie Burkhalter, who works for APR and us, uh, sent a message or sent a request to Facebook uh, for them to comment on what the governor was saying about her Facebook account being taken down because uh, she had made a post criticizing uh, President Biden and his vaccine mandates. And that, they took it down, but she fought back and they restored it. Um, and so Facebook then, several hours later, <laughs> sends a thing back, sends a message back and says, Yes, the governor's campaign account was taken down for a very short period of time, and it was because the, it had been reported as an imposter account. And and listen, in Facebook's defense, there's so much horseshit on that page; it could have very well been an imposter account. Hmm. Um, and so they took it down, figured out after they got the complaint from her that it was a legit campaign account, and they restored the page. And that was the whole fight. Yes, so she struck a blow uh, against Facebook and big tech, as they call it, <laughs> which is a fight I still don't understand. You're fighting to give Facebook free content. That's what you're doing. I don't understand. What the fight is, I, you know, what what is this fight? Well, the you know this is this is just I think a dovetailing uh, onto the the very things that Donald Trump complained about when he was president. You know, this is the whole you know uh, you know this is an extension of the argument against the mainstream media, but now they've yeah. incorporated social media into it, and you know well. You know, not only is the mainstream media against us, but so is Twitter and Facebook. And that's why Donald Trump isn't on there. I mean, this is that. That's what you, this you is. don't have any right to post anything. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You don't have any yeah, rights. It's a private business. You that's know? right. That's right. Uh, it's it, absolutely what? right. Well, you know, if you, just, if you want to reach people, there are other ways you can reach them. You, you are not entitled yeah. to say whatever you want on somebody else's uh, property. And, and Facebook <laughs> is the property of Facebook. It's just so silly to me. This old Facebook was trying to shut us down, but we showed them by giving them free content that they're making millions off of. That's right. <laughs> it's just, I mean, you know, what? All right. All right. Not to be outdone. Yeah. Um, our our attorney general. I, I'm getting to the big one. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. gonna get there. Okay. Um, uh, our attorney general had also announced that uh, he was going to be suing. Uh, the Biden administration mm. uh, over this vaccine rule uh, and then fantastically went on what he believed was going to be a very friendly, um, easy softball interview uh, with WSFA in Montgomery to talk about the hotline that they were going to have to help seniors with uh, scams and stuff. Uh, and then at the end of the interview, Mark Bullock, who's an anchor down there, uh, 
<laughs> let's let's switch lanes for just a second and talk about this this lawsuit that you're going to have, uh, and which Marshall launched into his usual rhetoric about the overreach of government and all this nonsense, and then. Quite surprisingly to everyone, including Steve Marshall, Mark Bullock was like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, uh, I hear what you're saying and you're the legal expert and all. But in there a 1905 Supreme Court ruling that says uh, Americans don't have the right to injure other Americans uh, by uh, you know, refusing to take a vaccine uh, in that. And uh, which you, know, you can almost see Marshall go, uh, what? Ooh, OK, we're going to talk for real. All right. And um, <laughs> and so at that point, it did turn into actual a real conversation. In which uh, Marshall said, "Yeah, well aware of that case, uh, you know, and that uh, and and seemed to kind of acknowledge that that would be the precedent for the, uh, in this particular case, but that they were going to challenge it based on the way it was implemented through OSHA and other stuff, and and then kind of said, you know, there are a lot of avenues to challenge this, and that's what courts are for, and you know, and it's kind of a it's it's kind of a giveaway of the game there, which is, yeah, you know what." He's got precedent to do this, and and it's it, it's true that Americans don't have the right to injure other Americans, but we can attack this shit because it's a partisan issue, and we can get votes off of it because it's it's things that outrage people, um, and people believe it's an overreach because we keep telling them that it is, and so we can just keep doing this, and and we got avenues to do that. Yeah, and and I, you know when I read your column about it, um, <clears throat> you know. I, it just I think you really made uh, an excellent point, which is that this is really just more partisanship. You know, uh, mm-hmm. this is not really about what's in the best interest of the people of our state. It's about what's in the best interest of the Republican Party in our yeah. state. And what's really laughable about this whole overreach garbage is that. You know, we already have vaccines that people are, that children are mandated. If they want to go to public school, they have to take. Or private schools. Well, you're right. You're right. Public or private schools. They have to take, you know, smallpox, polio. I know those two for sure. Yeah. Rubella, Um, the, you know, the, oh, there's a chicken pox. uh, There's, I mean, there's a whole uh, menu, believe me. I so, watched them. I watched them get jabbed in some little chubby legs not too long ago. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, so that that already exists, and nobody nobody's made a political issue out of that. Uh, you know, or nobody's doing it currently, at least. Um, you know, we have we have. Uh, you know, you could argue that almost any law is a de facto mandate. I mean. Yeah. You know, it's you know, you can't run stop signs. You can't exceed the speed limit. There are penalties for that. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, yeah. what, what you know, the, the, the whole argument becomes ludicrous because the justification for all of these things that we all buy into is even if we, you know, even if we break those laws sometimes or resent them sometimes, we understand there's a f- public safety reason for them to be there. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and listen, you, and, and just like with this, you can nitpick apart a lot of those a lot of those laws as well. Uh, mm-hmm. The speeding laws. I mean, you, you know, you, is it really that much less safe to go seventy five than sixty five? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I mean, you can right. you can nitpick the hell out of those things. Is it? Do we really need to have a school zone for a full hour after the schools get out? You right. know, have any kids been hit and killed between three forty five and four? I don't think so. You know, I mean, but you don't do that because you say, all right, you know what? It's a public safety issue. Uh, um, you know, is it is it overkill? Maybe to a certain degree, it's a little bit of overkill on things. But we understand that the the goal of this is to protect people. It's a minor inconvenience for everybody uh, to do this. And so th- therefore, we all take part of this because we live in a civilized society That's in which right. we have determined that these are these rules and laws better protect the overall society and make us all happier and healthier to live mm-hmm. in this society. And you know what? If you don't want to do that. Get the hell out. I mean, really, I'm I'm not one for to tell people to leave places, but if you can't follow basic societal rules, then just get the hell out. I mean, I don't know what else to say. If you want to live in some a ruleless, lawless society somewhere, then take your swords and your guns and go the hell on. I mean, your it's swords? just really, yeah. <laughs> go on your horses and get out of here. All right. Have you ever seen uh, uh, footage of uh, of of countries where? Uh, you know, like I, I'm just going to, you know, not to I mean, I, it's not it's more than one country where you have seen this, but it's usually like India or somewhere on the African continent. One of those uh-huh. nations where it seems as though traffic laws don't exist. Yeah. yeah. You know, and yes. the way they'll show you and I don't know, maybe it's an exaggeration uh, Hollywood or something. I don't know, but it doesn't seem like it always is where you look at the traffic flow and how people are driving and you're thinking, yeah. Really? Yeah, what the hell is this? I you mean, know? it's just like, yeah, and yeah. everybody's honking, and you yeah. know, and it's just, yeah. And it's always, I tell you, if you ever watch uh, The Amazing Race mm-hmm. uh, show, uh, the reality show, which is a very good show and, and very unreality showish, uh, mm-hmm. in that it's, it's a pretty smart show, and you, you get to go around and, and to kind of see the other cultures and the other countries and things. And, and there's a lot of, they, they do a lot of that stuff of, of watching people kind of negotiate traffic in, <laughs> in these other countries. And I mean, it's like, you know, Know, Jakarta or, or Sri Lanka or something, you know, something okay. like that. And it's just like people are just, you know, everywhere in there. And yeah. you're like, what the hell is this system? But it seems to work out for them. You know, it's just like, you know, you go every eighth car, you get to go. I, um, but it's it's crazy. You're right. But no, it's I just don't know. You know, follow the follow. It's a, it's a basic rule. And it's, it's my whole thing with every every part of this. Why are you all so angry about everything, about putting on a mask, about social distancing, about these little rules, about the vaccine? Why are you so mad about these things? <laughs> At worst, it's somebody who said, I really want to keep people safe. And so I would like to implement these pretty simplistic laws and rules uh, to keep these people safe. Mm-hmm. And you're like losing your damn minds over your kid <laughs> wearing a mask. What are you doing? You know, I just uh, speaking of someone losing their minds. though, <laughs> This brings us to our right wing note of the week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tim James. And I mean, I think this is not a surprise to anybody. And uh, OK, let me. So Tim James had a press conference this week on the Capitol steps um, in, in which he did not announce that he was running for governor as, as many people suspected he was going to. Hmm. Uh, but instead he gave a speech about the, <laughs> the dangers facing our school children. 
Um, and, and he divided these things up into three dangers. And he labeled the... <laughs> Uh, he labeled these dangers, um, divided them into sections entitled the first, second, and third heads of the beast. Mm. Um, yeah. Is that, a, um, is that an apocalyptic revelation metaphor? Oh, no doubt. No doubt. No uh-huh. doubt. It's, uh, uh, and he, um, he led, you know, he gave, he gave you three of the most dangerous things facing American uh, and Alabama school children today. Um, number one, I think we all we all know because it is a true danger, and that's critical race theory. Um, and it's you know it's it's so such a danger, especially since it's not taught in any of our schools. Um, and <laughs> the second one is transgenderism, uh, mm. the the creeping nature of transgenderism, and really it's really and he's right because. I mean, what are we going to do if we can't pick on those transgender kids anymore? Mm-hmm. Um, and and the third, the third is one that I think we could probably argue is actually number one. But Tim put it thirds, and he knows best uh, because he is a grandfather and the son of a former governor. Right, he's um, the expert and, in these things. Exactly. Yeah. And that that thing, that third biggest problem for us is yoga. Ooh. I wow. Know, I know. Ooh. And. Uh, and listen, I, I'm going to read this to you. This is uh-huh. his actual speech. And, and I want you to imagine that there is a human being, a grown person, that wrote this shit down, <laughs> <laughs> read it over, and said, yeah, I'm going with that. That's right. That sounds right. All right. And that person was apparently not drunk. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, all right. The third head of the beast is yoga in classrooms, beginning as early as kindergarten. Yoga is a spiritual discipline rooted in Hindu philosophy. I know that many well-meaning families in Alabama practice yoga. Well-meaning families. Mm. Some of my family members have practiced yoga until they realized what it was about. So I understand that most people don't know its hidden symbolism. Until recently, Alabama was the only state in the country that did not allow yoga in public schools. However, this year, the Alabama legislature reversed the 30-year ban on yoga in schools, and now kindergartners, your kindergartners, with parental consent, can practice it. If there ever was a question as to whether yoga is part of the Hindu religion, the new law makes it clear. The permission slip for parents to sign in the legislation says, I am informed that my child will participate in yoga instruction at the school of choice. I understand that yoga is part of the Hinduism religion. I give my child permission to participate in yoga instruction in school. I don't remember needing permission for jumping jacks or toe touches. (laughs) Do you think about it? Yes. Think about it. You know, uh, they took prayer out of schools and now we have this Trojan horse called yoga. The word yoga means to become yoked with God. And it is not, not referring to the God of the Bible. However, The legislature did restrict some components of yoga, but they allowed others, including the exercise poses that imitate certain Hindu gods. To imitate is to honor. It is a form of worship. Do you want your five-year-old in the name of stretching to place their little body in a pose that honors a Hindu god? Do you? In the name of stretching. (laughs) 
<laughs> this is not meant to shame or judge, but to inform. I hope this will inspire parents to research the issue themselves so they can make an informed decision whether to allow their child to practice yoga at school. If a child practices yoga, the spiritual risk of opening a portal into their sensitive little soul. Oh, is wow. Real. Boy, there's a there's a heavy buzzword if I ever heard one. The portal. The portal. Oh, portal. That sounds like sensitive little soul. It sounds like some of that uh, crazy talk they used to do back in the uh, the 70s and the 80s in certain Christian communities where they would talk about things like backwards masking, you know, and you yeah. can play the records bas- backwards. Yes. You know, Stairway to Heaven is really talking about. You know, yeah. loving Satan or something yeah, like that. Yeah, biting off the heads of bats. Yeah, yeah right. you yeah. know, it's just kind of it sounds like that kind of crazy talk. But here's yeah. here's the thing that I think is really fascinating. If Tim James is so concerned about the origins of yoga, then he ought to be triply concerned about the origins of certain Christian traditions, such as Easter for example, which has a direct connection to paganism. Or with Christmas. The, with fertility. I was going there next. I was going there next. Yeah. You know, Christmas and Easter both have direct connections to paganistic beliefs, mm-hmm. non-Christian beliefs. And yet I guarantee you that Tim James has a Christmas tree in his house every year. <laughs> and probably since his with no idea. And <laughs> probably since his grandchildren on Easter egg hunts, uh, not realizing that he's really actually paying homage to the goddess of fertility <laughs> in some some non Christian pagan religion. I mean, Listen, it's utterly ridiculous. You know, people you have people that have common sense. Uh-huh. And who think critically have long since understood that the origins of something don't necessarily mean that that thing means what it meant originally and that there can't be other applications and usages. That's just ridiculous. I just I just want to congratulate the members of Tim James family who once practiced yoga <laughs> and no longer did after they realized <laughs> that it was opening a portal into their sensitive little souls and right. uh, <laughs> and also allowing their five year olds to uh, you know, to in the name of stretching to honor a Hindu god right. um, uh, because really really those are the most important issues facing Alabama school children today. And I, I just appreciate Tim James pointing those things out to everyone. <laughs> and that is your right wing nut of the week and probably will be your right wing nut of the year. <laughs> when this is all said and done. Especially so, if he does run for governor, huh? I, I don't know if anybody can top this ever. I mean, this was the nuttiest damn thing I've ever heard of. I mean, this was fruitcake level, bottom of a pizza parlor, sucking the blood of children uh, level crazy. I mean, good Lord. I don't know that that uh, that that, uh, you know, sucking the blood of children and, and, and being pedophiles. That was a pretty that that was pretty. Uh, yeah. I don't know. That still to me might. That, that's gonna be hard to top that, Josh. I I'll, I'll say this though. I'll say this. It runs in the Tim James family ah. uh, because you know his uh, his mother had the uh, had the pictures of uh, Lee and Davis taken out of the uh, out of the governor's mansion because they were uh, demonized. And really, 
Yeah, yeah, I can send you that story. It was a, it was a newspaper story from from back in the day when when she wow. had them all taken out. Yeah, yeah, because their their eyes were demonized and following her. So Robert Robert E Lee and Jefferson Davis. Yeah. Well, she. I she mean, they had, were of course demons, but I mean, you know, right. So I was going to yeah. say she may have done it for a, a, a crazy reason, but actually, I'm I don't have any problem with that. Yeah, no, it's but it's I'll send you the news story. It's it's yeah. a it's a surprisingly well sourced news story with people <laughs> offering lots of comments on this, and it's just <laughs> wow. I mean they denied it of course, but I mean the other people were like, yeah, no man, she took those out because she thought demons were following her. So, wow, yeah. Yeah. wow, that's something. All right, Poor thing. Hmm. I think uh, I think that's enough crazy for uh, for one week, man. Hmm. We'll. Uh, We'll slide on out of here and, uh, you know, until next week, y'all be safe. Peace. Hey, everybody. Just wanted to remind you, if you would, take a moment. And go to your favorite podcast destination and leave us a nice review if you would. Uh, also, don't forget to rate us if you get a chance. Uh, that would really, really help us out a whole lot here. And, uh, you know, maybe we could earn some money off this thing every now and then. Thanks a lot, guys.